Good morning. Uh, great to be with you guys. My name is Rob. I'm one of our teaching pastors, along with Lloyd. And if you were here last week, you heard Lloyd teach. And he and I tend to rotate back and forth. Great to be here and great to talk one last time about our book of Acts, our study through this book that started way back in October. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, the week before Easter, Lloyd did a little bit of recapping and passed the microphone for you all to share what God's been doing in you, through you, as we've been doing this study. I'm going to do a little bit of a different take on it today. I'm going to recap the content of the book, and then I'm going to share with you through other means how God's been living this book out through some members of our body. Uh, You're going to hear from uh, one of the folks that went on our Peru trip recently, sharing the gospel there and partnering alongside a church. And then you're going to see a video about a member of our body that God's been doing some significant things in as well, all in the context of what does it look like for us to not just know the Word of God and our study through Acts, but to live the Word of God, which is exactly what he's called us to do. So I'm going to do, first of all, a bit of a recap, and I'll give you some principles of what I think it might look like for us to put this book into action as we move forward, even into our next series, which, as Eric mentioned, we're going to take four weeks, starting next week, to study the Holy Spirit. And it's direct tie-in to what God's been teaching us in Acts. We thought, what an important thing for us to kind of do a deep dive on what it is to live by the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. So I'm excited about that series. Then we'll finish that four, you know, in four weeks later. Then we're going to go into Ecclesiastes. And all throughout the rest of the spring, into the summer, um, probably get us to about mid-September or so, we're going to be digging into the book of Ecclesiastes, which I think, I don't know how many of you in this room have really studied or read that book, is maybe one of the most relevant books for our time and even our place in Williamson County, Tennessee. I'm excited about what God's going to do as we study that book verse by verse. So in the meantime, let's wrap up and share what God's been up to in the last six months or so as we've been in the book of Acts together. Remember that Acts, or another way to say it, is the church is God's plan A for the world. So we've been talking about that. That's been our logo through the series. That's been our byline. You have this Really large styrofoam letter A behind me that's kind of floated around the, uh, the stage at different times. It's all to remind us that we're God's plan A for the world and there is no plan B. Like we are it. And it's not because there's anything great about us, i.e. the church, Christians. It's really because Jesus is God's plan A for the world and there is no plan B. And we are, as scripture teaches us, the body of Christ on earth. We literally are Christ on earth for the world. Therefore, by extension, we are God's plan A and there is no plan B for the world. The hope of the world resides in the message of Jesus. That's what we firmly believe and that's what the church was living out uh, from the earliest days. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're just going to start there. And we have pounded this one particular verse intentionally, and hopefully by now you about have it memorized. That was part of our strategy. Acts 1.8, and I'm going to start there again. One more time we'll have to study this verse. It's such an important, it's really the key verse of the book. But you will receive power. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That is the key verse because it outlines where the rest of the book goes. It starts in Jerusalem, then goes out to Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. It also is the same verse that connects the story in Acts to the story in 2018 in Franklin, Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee. 
You see, we're still living that out as part of the remotest part of the earth. We're living out this commission that God gave to the church. So let me put a map up on the screen, and we'll just kind of acclimate where we've been as we've been in this uh, study of the book. It all started in Jerusalem. So you kind of see Israel there, which would be on the uh, eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, and that little red dot, that's Jerusalem, that's where the church started. Acts chapters 1 to 7 took place there. Then it grew outward into Judea and Samaria, which is like the, the county and the, the kind of the nation itself. And then, ultimately, to the remotest part of the earth, at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, and if you are here two weeks ago, Lloyd taught on this, Paul is sitting in chains in Rome. Rome is that tiny little red dot in the upper left-hand corner of the map. It, it actually, you know, we should have extended that green oval even further out because the gospel ends in Rome in the book of Acts. And from Rome, which was the capital of the empire, it's able to go everywhere, everywhere. So this is the book of Acts kind of visually represented. And I'm going to walk back through it really briefly. It starts in Jerusalem where the church immediately explodes and faces persecution. You know, it's like they didn't even get a honeymoon period. It's like thousands of people are coming to Christ. There's great joy in that. Remember, everywhere the gospel goes, joy accompanies it. That's one of the themes of the book of Acts. But where the gospel goes, joy goes, there's also resistance. Because there is an enemy that does not want the good news of Jesus Christ to spread. Interestingly, it was the religious leaders that initially opposed the church. The Jewish authorities provided resistance in Jerusalem from the earliest days. So the church is growing. There's fantastic things happening there. They're being resisted all the way to the place where a man named Stephen, who was one of the early uh, members of the church, early leaders of the church, he's killed for his faith. He's actually stoned because the religious authorities don't like what he's teaching about Jesus, that Jesus is the true Messiah, that Jesus is the true king, that Jesus, although he was killed, was back to life and is calling everyone to follow him. And so they stone Stephen, and that one act sends the church scattered, because now suddenly they're being hunted down. Literally, their lives are at stake. So the apostles stay in uh, Jerusalem kind of as the home base, but most of the rest of the members of the church scatter out. Where do they go? Well, the surrounding area, which was Judea. You know, Judea was the, the area that Jerusalem was in. And Samaria. Samaria was the area where uh, there was a group of people called the Samaritans who were considered kind of half-breeds. You know, they weren't the, the clean people according to the, the Jewish nation. And guess what? The gospel goes into Samaria and joy accompanies it. And so reconciliation between Jewish-born people and Samaritan-born people is happening through the gospel. And it's this beautiful picture of that. Um, the, the, the focus shifts to this man named Philip for a couple of chapters. And Philip shares the gospel to the Samaritans. Philip shares the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch you know, who comes to Christ and he says, there's some water, what prevents me from being baptized? And you'll remember when we taught that lesson, we had a baptismal right up here and we said, what prevents any of you from being baptized? And about 20 of you between the two services who weren't planning on getting wet beforehand left the building wet after you were baptized, just like Philip was on that morning. That was that season of the gospel spreading beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. Well, eventually, a man named Saul becomes a Christian. Now Saul was the chief persecutor of the church and in God's beautiful redemptive irony God chose the enemy of the church to become the evangelist of the church. And so 
Christ encounters Saul in this magnificent um, um, moment in time where he reveals himself and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. And so Saul comes to faith in Christ and Saul then begins to take the message of the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. And we see these missionary journeys where Paul would launch from Jerusalem and literally go all around the Mediterranean even to Rome itself, where Paul would eventually be executed. By the way, not a single one of those original apostles escapes the persecution, ultimately. They're all killed for their faith. And not a single one goes back and reneges that they believe at the core of their being that Jesus rose out of that grave and is the king of the world. And that's the origin story of our faith. That's the origin story of the church. Now, significantly, the story continues. Significantly, we're in this story. There is a sense that if the book of Acts is the story of the church, that there is no ending. In fact, there will be an ending when Jesus returns and he's going to close the book on the era of the church and open the book on the era of the new kingdom, that is still in the future. We are still in the era of the church. So as we read this book, I don't know if this has happened to you, but, but for me, this book has come alive. Because I'm thinking, this is still what God is doing in us. God is still calling us to share the good news of Christ to the remotest parts of the earth. God is still doing miraculous things in our midst. I literally believe that. I want just to to kind of think about some things that God has done literally in our body during the course of this study of the book of Acts. We started back in the fall with 40 days of prayer and fasting. Why did we do that? And why did we accompany that with the study of Acts? Well, because it's apparent from Acts 1-8 on that there's no way this church is going to survive without God. Now, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that word power, as we taught, it literally could be translated dynamite. Explosive power. There's no way that that church was going to survive, much less thrive and multiply, if there was not a power outside of them that came inside. And what we know and believe through Scripture is that same dynamite, that same power is in us. Everyone who's received Jesus has the dynamite in them, has the power in them, the person of the Spirit. That's why we're going to be talking in the next four weeks about who is the Spirit and what does the Spirit do, because we need to know because this power is in us. We have to be dependent upon this power. That's why we did 40 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, Some of you that were here, you remember that uh, a month or two after the 40 days of prayer and fasting, we had a big board in the lobby, and we invited anybody with a tangible need, a a financial need, or, or something around the house that they don't know how to do, or they can't afford to get done, or whatever, just to write that on a little card. And then those of you with resources that you can give away, We're invited just to grab one of those cards, contact the person, and meet the need. We still have stories coming in from how God used that sharing board. Why did we do that? Because in the book of Acts, they were sharing all that they have. They were meeting each other's needs. 
that God was doing that in us as we were studying the book. So you start to see, see, see the book is coming alive as we've been studying it. I already mentioned the example of the baptisms. I met a guy right here on the second row before church started. I, I said, you look familiar. And he was like, I was one of those guys that were baptized. I was one of those 20 that didn't expect to get wet when I came in the door. You know, and every, all, every one of those stories, if you talk to those people, they were just like, God just told me to do this and I responded to God's word. What that's actually happening when they say I responded to God's word is they're putting flesh on the scripture. Like they're making it come alive. And Eric used the word earlier, we want to be the kind of church that embodies God's word. Not just know God's word. It's got to start there. You can't embody something that you don't know. You've got to know the word of God. But then we also want to live the word of God. We want to put flesh on it. Now, think about who is the paradigm of embodying or incarnating the word. It's Christ himself. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We need to be the same kind of incarnational people to our culture to our society as Jesus was when he came so what does it look like for the Bible to put on flesh I hope it looks like fellowship Bible church that's my dream that that Bible would continue to be our middle name right in a sense fellowship Bible but not just in the sense of well that's the church where they teach the Bible expositionally yes it is yes we're going to keep teaching the Bible expositionally but the reason we're going to teach it expositionally is so that we not just know it but we live it so we not just become smarter Christians but we become incarnational we literally put flesh on the word of God because it's the only hope of the world you see this is how we follow Jesus this is what I believe it means to be the church. Now, all this is embedded in this book, so here's what I want to do. I want to drill down in, in a couple more passages as we kind of walk through, and I want to ask this question. What would it take for us to not just know the book of Acts, but to continue to live the book of Acts? Like, what would it look like for us? I love talking theology. I love teaching doctrine. But if, if we're not putting feet to our faith, then we're not, all, we're not actually living according to how the Spirit would call us to live. What would it look like for us to continually embody this book as a church? Uh, I think there are three things that need to shift in most of us. Three things that need to change. And, you know, some of you might say, well, you know, those have already shifted in me. Those have already changed in me. Others of you will say, hey, all three. I'll tell you right now where I am. I, I need all three of these things to keep continuing to move in me for me to continue to live out what God has called me to live out. So here are the three. I'll walk through them one by one. We'll talk about a, a, a scripture or two as we go and dive into that. Number one, first principle, what we need to change in order to live out this book. We must live dependently on the Holy Spirit. We must live dependently on the Holy Spirit. Um, we live in a time and place and culture uh, that nobody likes to be needy. You know, uh, we don't like to ask for help. Most of us uh, have the resources that we need to provide for our families, and we, we can't even imagine, you know, taking off our hat and, like, asking for money or something like that. Like, you know, that's, that's below us. I think some of those same principles of not wanting to beg or not wanting to be needy can also... Um, um, unconsciously translate to our spiritual lives too. 
It's like, we got this. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're the church that teaches the Bible, you know. Uh, maybe you might be thinking, I've been a Christian all my life. You know, I'm not a new Christian or I'm a mature Christian, and I hope you are. But if that mindset of maturity leads you to think that you're not as desperately dependent upon Christ, God in you through the Holy Spirit, as anyone possibly could be, then you're not actually living dependently. We see this church so desperate for Christ to do things in them through the Spirit that they're constantly praying that way. I want to show you one example. Flip over. You're in Acts 1. Let's go over just a, a few chapters to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at 23 to 24. We, we won't have this on the screen, so just look at it in, uh, in your Bible if you can. Here's the context. Um, some of the apostles had just been arrested, and they were specifically told by the authorities who had power to kill them, you must not speak of the name of Jesus any longer. That was what they were commanded to do. And Peter and John basically said, I'm sorry, we can't stop speaking. So they take that report back to the church. They share that with the church. Now the church is thinking, oh no, we're all going to be targets. Guess what? They were right. It's not very much longer after this that the first person's killed. Stephen's killed. So they have that fear that their lives are now in danger. And they have a choice. Are they going to stop speaking the name of Jesus to save their own skin? Or are they going to lean in and trust God? And so here's what happens. Look at uh, verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. When they'd been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, you know, including this threat. Verse 24. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. And and I'm going to skip a couple verses. They keep going on, pouring out worship, pouring uh, out praise to God, reminding him of his promises to them. And then uh, look down here for a minute at verse 29. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. In other words, they're saying, help us to lean in, not lean away. Verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then check out verse 31. This is amazing. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So you see, when we lean into dependence on God, the Holy Spirit has space, has room to say, feel my strength. When we back away from our own strength, we're leaving room for God's strength to work through us. So, so you want to jumpstart your prayer life, by the way. And, and by the way, prayer is always an expression of your dependence on God. The less you pray the more you should be thinking to yourself, I'm not really depending on God. I'm kind of acting independently. Because when you pray, that's what you're doing. You're asking for help, right? That's what they're doing. So when you pray, that's an expression of dependence on God. You want to jumpstart your prayer life? Take a step of faith to do something that you don't know the outcome. Like there's nothing that'll get you praying by being put in in a scary situation. Uh, spring break, we were over by the Smoky Mountain National Park, and um, we took a day to go to Dollywood. 
which is actually a really great park, by the way, if you haven't been. Uh, I'm not trying to plug Dolly, but anyway. So we, we went, and they've got some, like, serious roller coasters in Dollywood, you know? I don't know what you're, you're thinking of. I was thinking Dolly, you know, how scary can it be? And we're going up these hills, and, you know, I like roller coasters, but still, it's been a while since I've really been on one, and it gets your heart going. And you are at the mercy of those harnesses. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's a couple that they, like, they leave you hanging upside down for a little more than it's comfortable, and you're like, if this thing doesn't hold me, I'm dead, all right? That, that's literally a risky thing to put your faith in a harness, right? Now, you know, millions of people gone before you. No one got killed as far as you know. Maybe they swept it under the rug. All these things go through your mind, but, but this is what the life of faith should look like, church. It is, a, in a sense, if you can understand this phrase, risky faith, Okay? Now that doesn't mean we don't have confidence that God's going to come through. But when you share your faith with a neighbor or, or you make a financial commitment through this love your neighbor offering or your regular giving or you show up in someone's life that has cancer and you don't know what to say or you knock on a door and just say, I just want to, you know, whatever it is that you do, it's a step of faith. You see, you want to jumpstart your prayer life. Commit yourself to doing something where you're not entirely sure of the outcome, but you believe God could be leading you to do it. We must live dependently on the Spirit, and part of that is just taking more risks in congruence with God's Word, led by the Spirit, but risks nonetheless. I, I don't know if you can spell faith any differently than R-I-S-K. You see, I, I think we need to be leaning into that a little more. So that's, that's number one. We must live dependently on the Holy Spirit. Okay, Principle number two, we must band together in community. We must band together in community. Look at Acts 2.42. Let's flip backward now, uh, chapter 2, Acts 2.42. I'm going to read you one of my favorite sections in the whole book. This is, um, in the early days of the Jerusalem church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them, sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That, that's where we got that sharing board idea from we did in the fall. Verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. Listen to this last phrase. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, here's what I love about this passage. As the disciples and the followers of Jesus leaned into community together, God added to their number. In other words, they weren't just um, um, forming their holy huddles at the exclusion of non-believers. What was happening was their community and fellowship was so beautiful that it was drawing non-believers in. Now think about why that's true. It's still true in our day. Every human soul craves relationship, craves intimacy. We all, you know, introverts and extroverts, all of us need to be known, need to be loved, and then have a desire and energy to know others and love others. It's part of how God wired us as human beings. We're relational creatures. So we are in a community even today that's starving for healthy community. 
We're all individualists. We're all isolationists in a way. We, you know, come in our house and our air conditioning and we close our garage doors and we don't even know our neighbors, most of us, you know. What we're being called into is such beautiful community described here in Acts chapter 2 that the rest of the area would be like, can I get into that? Yes, it's all about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. We would love to invite you in. You see, that was the dynamic that was happening. So we must band together in community. I want to encourage any and all of you that are not yet in a group, not yet serving a team or in some kind of class, that sometime in the next six months, you would say, we're going to get involved. We're not just going to be religious consumers on a Sunday morning to enjoy some sermon and some music. We're going to try to be known and we're going to try to know others. And, and we're going to give you opportunities for that. We're going to put a big emphasis on that, particularly in the, in the fall. You know, we're not starting new groups this month because what happens is everybody scatters over the summer all on their, their vacations and trips. But come July and August, you're going to be hearing a lot about discipleship opportunities, fellowship group opportunities, that's our small groups, ways to serve, ways to get involved. And I just want to plant that seed in you now uh, because it, it's that important. You need it. And our culture needs it too. We must band together in community. So number one, live dependently on the Spirit. Number two, band together in community. Can't do it alone. And then the third one, and I'm going to stretch us here a little bit. I'm stretching myself, I'll be honest with you. Uh, here's one that's unique to our context. We must create margin for what God wants to do through us. We must create margin. Uh, most of us, our plates are, are so full you can't jam anything else into it. And so you, you, you don't have the margin to say yes to a mission trip. You don't have the margin to invite new neighbors that just moved in over for dinner. You don't have the margin um, when uh, a, you know, a friend of yours that maybe you don't know real well, but they're going through a really hard time. They're going through a divorce. They're going through a, a, a health issue. You don't have the margin to take the extra time to engage and reach out and just let them know you care and you're praying for them. And some, and some of you are doing all these things, but many of you, don't, you just don't have the margin. Why don't you have the margin? Because we live in an area where there are so many phenomenal opportunities for us and our families. Uh, Jody and I and our family have lived here now three and a half years. We love this area. Is, is there, is there a, a more um, family-oriented area in the country? Well, maybe, but I haven't found one. You know? I mean, you've got great culture and music right up in Nashville. You've got great schools right here in Williamson County. You've got sports. You've got community activities. You can fill your plate in a heartbeat with really good stuff. That's called the pursuit of the good life. <laughs> it's like, I want a, a good house, a good job, good family life good activities, good entertainment, beauty around me, good restaurants, good food, good shopping, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. We put it all on our plates, and in this pursuit of the good life, we suddenly look around and we say, I have no margin in my life for anything. Being used by God oftentimes looks like being available to other people. And if you have no margin in your life, you can't be available to other people when someone knocks on your door or moves in across the street or has a need. You, you see, we, we have to create some margin. And I know this is really hard. And like this pushes like right into the teeth of where I am right now because I'm as busy as I've ever been in my life. 
And yet I read this book, and it's like the way they interacted together, the way they shared their faith together, the way they, they reached out to their neighbors, the way that they were loving people that, that had diseases and sicknesses all throughout the book of Acts. You can't do that if you're as busy as we are in 2018 in Williamson County. So I don't know how to get us there, but I just know we all need to ask the question, what would it look like to have a little more margin for how God would want to use me? I'm going to encourage you to sit down with your family, literally sit down with your family sometime in the next couple weeks. Um, ask this question, is there one thing we could remove from our schedule to create space for what God might want to do through us? Is there one thing, one activity we could remove from our schedule to create space for what God might want to do? You don't even have to know yet what he's going to do. Like You don't have to fill that space strategically. Just leave it open, and I guarantee God's going to fill it, and he'll fill it with something that'll bring you much more joy than whatever it is you cut out of your schedule. I almost guarantee it, because the joy is found in being a vessel of the good news of Jesus through you, of loving people with the love of Christ. That's where we get joy. That's just true. All right, so I'm preaching to myself there. I trust I'm preaching to a lot of you in the room. So here are the three principles, just one more time. We must live dependently on the Holy Spirit. We must band together in community. We must create margin for what God might want to do in and through us. I want to close by showing you a couple of examples of the book of Acts come to life at Fellowship Bible Church. Um, you're going to hear first from Erica Yazerski. Don't come up here quite yet, Erica. I'll call you in just a second. But Erica was one of 13 people from our church that just got back from a mission trip to Peru. Uh, if you've been around fellowship, you know the way that we do our global partners is we link arms with churches that are rooted in the gospel all over the world that are led by indigenous people. And so in this case, we've partnered with a church in Lima, Peru, which is the capital of Peru. And uh, if you were here during our global Christmas, you had a chance uh, to meet Luis and Sylvia, the couple that leads that church. Luis is the pastor and, and his wife, Sylvia. And they're just a delight. Some of you had a chance to know them. Well, we sent this team. That's not everybody in the picture. There were 13 of them. We sent this team down to the church in Remac, which is that area of Lima. And they put on for several days a discipleship conference because they wanted to come alongside and learn from each other with this other church in Remac that we have a partnership with. And I think you're going to hear as you hear stories from this trip, they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They uh, had to have margin in their lives even to make this trip possible. You know, it can't fit a, 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 a unexpected mission trip in your busy schedule unless you really have some margin uh, for it. And, and they engaged these people in a way that God bore a lot of fruit in. So Erica, come on up here. Erica's going to share a little bit about her experience uh, on the trip. And uh, they were quite a band of community, these 13. In fact, I heard they even all got sick together on the back end of that, except for Erica. So we joked earlier, this is her payback for not getting sick, is she gets to I'm share how everything time. went. Yeah. Sick for a week or four minutes up here. <clears throat> but truly, I, I am so honored to share with you about our time in Remac. It was a very special trip. Um, but before we left, I was a little worried and skeptical about how it might go. Um, I knew in theory the goal of Fellowship's global partners and their global partnerships, but I didn't know how that would work on such a, um, a short weekend. Um, I didn't know how we could communicate with them that we were in it for the long haul and we're only there for three days. And I really didn't want to just show up and throw a lot of information their way and then leave. 
but that is not what happened. Um, we were welcomed into a vibrant and growing congregation. And um, their systematic discipleship program lines up so well with what we've been learning in discipleship that there was great common ground for our conference and a lot of opportunities for us to learn from each other. And that um, pastoral staff is a group of such wise men and women. Um, they are so good at what they do, and it was an honor to work with them over that weekend. Um, and it was a great first visit of many more visits to come. It was communicated very clearly that we are in it for the long haul. And I'm so excited for some of you to get to go to Remax soon and see that. Um, I want to talk about one relationship in particular. Um, I had several conversations with my new friend, Dirsa. Dirsa is 25, and she goes to Bible school in Lima. She is wise. Um, she is sweet. She's smart. She's an artist and an um, interior designer. And she grew up going to the school that is on the church campus. And she first met God in those classrooms. And she is a believer now because of the witness of her teachers. And um, as we were walking through the classrooms, she said to me, I heard that um, Fellowship Franklin is helping to put a new roof on our school. And we were standing there, and I think you've seen a picture of it, um, in this hot classroom with this tin roof. And, um, and she was just saying how grateful she was and how excited she was about getting this new roof that would keep the classrooms cooler. And I was so excited because um, back in December, papers came home with my son telling me that um, the children's ministry, their focus for global giving was to, um, their offering was going to go to this roof. And so, so I tried to share with my son how important it was to give his offering in this way, but he is a reluctant giver, and he didn't want to part with what was in his piggy bank. And so we had to get creative, and we actually um, sold some of his toys at a consignment store, and then he took that money and gave it to the global giving. And then three months later, I'm in Peru standing in this classroom and seeing how his giving is going to impact this school and seeing how our global giving really does change lives. In this case, it helps children hear the gospel. And Dirsa heard the gospel in that classroom. And now other children are going to get to hear about Jesus every day. And our kids get to be a part of that, too. And um, I wish you could see the fruit of that in Dirsa's life. Um, she has the heart of an evangelist. She, um, Pastor Louise says she has the call of a missionary. And um, she is looking forward to finishing Bible school and becoming a missionary maybe in Peru and maybe in another country. And um, what's cool is when I was in my early 20s, I went to Kenya as a missionary. And so through an interpreter, we had a really sweet conversation about my past and about her future. And I can't wait to see how God uses her. Um, and her faith and obedience were such an encouragement to me. And I'm hoping that sharing part of my story encouraged her as well. And I think that's just a tiny example of what these global partnerships can do. They're about individual relationships and they're about whole church, whole church bodies partnering together here and in Peru to further the cause of the gospel. Amen. Thanks, Erica. Um, you know, when she was talking, you're looking at those pictures, I was thinking about the book of Acts come to life and the relationship that those churches had with each other. Uh, there's one instance where Paul goes to all the Gentile churches that he started, and he collects an offering and brings it back to Jerusalem 
which is where the beginning of the church was, and gives it to the poor. There's not this sense in the book of Acts that these churches are disconnected from each other. They're coming alongside relationally. That's what we're doing in our partnership with this church in Peru. This is not a one-time deal. We are in it for the long haul. There's going to be a group that's going to go this summer. Every year we're going to take one or possibly two trips over the next 10, 15, maybe 20 years. You can imagine the depth of relationships that will develop between us and the sister church. Let me read to you the names of the folks that were on this trip. Matt Brock, Josh Tillman, Bobby Cool, Jesse Payne, Javon Ritchie, Sean Dean, Eric Hoffman, Sandy Butters, Paige Stroop, Melissa Hoffman, Erica Yazerksky, and Chandra Atkins. All of them living out the book of Acts in this context. I want to give you one more example. Um, quite a while ago, a guy in our body named Josh Fedorka came up to me after one of the services. And Josh said, man, uh, I don't know what to do with this, but I've got some skill and, and gifting in video production, and I would love to use it to serve Christ. I don't even know how, but I believe this is something that God has given me as a part of my witness of Jesus. And so we started talking, and I said, I have no idea what you can do with that, but, but, I, but, but go forward, brother. You're like, let's just see what God has in mind. And uh, what, where God led Josh was just kind of on his own to start filming stories of life change of people that he uh, got to know in our church. So what has the gospel done in your life? Josh wanted to hear that story, and he, he made some videos and is still in process of doing that. The first one that he made was of another man in our midst, Sean Dean, about Sean's story. So I want to show you this video in just a minute. What's beautiful about this is it's really the story of two men living out the book of Acts in their context. On the one hand, you've got Josh, who's been gifted, and he says, hey, I want to use these gifts to serve Jesus, to be a witness. And you're going to see the story in this video of Sean and the way that God's been transforming him through the gospel to give his life away as well, just like we're seeing. So here's another example, church, of the book of Acts come to life in our midst. Let's take a look. So Sean Dean is embodying Acts 1-8 in Franklin, Tennessee in 2018. Erica Yazerksky and the other 12 that went there is embodying, living out the book of Acts in our partnership in Peru and other places. What about you? What about you? I know there's stories. I heard some of them after the last service. So many of you are engaging in ways. And let me just tell you, if you're looking around for a church and you're just wanting a church that you can kind of check your spiritual box off and, you know, come in and consume some good teaching and consume some good worship, this isn't the church for you. <laughs> like, we, we, ha we have those things. We love those things. We embrace those things. But we want to be the kind of church that's not just knowing God's word, but living God's word. We want to be a living Bible church. We want to be the kind of church that's embodying God's word. And listen, if, if you don't want that, let me just encourage you. There's so much more. Joy is found in being a vessel and being an instrument of the gospel flowing through you. Just ask Sean Dean. Just ask Erica and the others. And I would actually encourage you to do that. So here's how we're going to close our worship service this morning. We are going to give you an opportunity through a song to either literally or just sort of symbolically raise your hand and say, God, I'm in. You know, as for me, I'll take, I'm going to raise your banner high. I'm going to do this. So go ahead and stand up together. Uh, we're going to begin to sing for a minute. If you want to literally raise your hand and do that, great. If not, that's fine too. But I pray that we're going to be all in for living out God's word 
in our context. Let's sing together. Amen. Let me just say this before you leave. Uh, if you're someone in the room today that's like, I don't even know what that would look like to raise the banner high. I don't know if I have any life to give. I just want to invite you. We would love to talk to you about that. Uh, I talked to a young lady after the first service, and she just, she just said, I don't even know what it means to know Jesus. And what came to my mind was so much joy because I said what she has waiting for her, fullness of life in Christ, she hasn't even tasted it yet. And if you're someone that has not tasted fullness of life in Jesus, that's the offer on the table. And we would love to talk to you about that. If you have a prayer need of any kind, we'd love to pray for you as well. There's a couple down here to my right and your left that would love to pray with you, pray for you. If you want to talk to any of the people that have been living out God's word, Sean Dean, Erica, Eric Hoffman's down here as well. We want to help you take a next step if you'd like that as well. Let me pray for us and we'll go. Father, you are good. And we do pray that we wouldn't just sing it but we would actually live it, that we would raise your banner high in the opportunities that you would call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you next week.